John? Yeah. I gotta see you right away. It's important. What's going on? We got three really big weeks ahead of us. It's wedding season! You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. We've got three big weeks ahead of us. It's wedding season. If you don't recognize that movie quote, it's from the 2005 classic comedy Wedding Crashers. Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson play two guys who spend their free time crashing wedding receptions. Back then, planning for a wedding relied on phone calls and meetings, coordinating up to 10 small businesses, a caterer, a DJ, a florist, a photographer, a store to purchase a wedding dress, a store to buy a tuxedo, and all those while culling through friends and family for invitations, making sure that the seating arrangements won't lead to fights. And you can't forget about the bachelor and bachelorette parties, and there are movies about those too. Wedding Crashers came out two years before the iPhone was launched. Now, almost 15 years later, the landscape is different. People live on their phones. The sharing economy is part of daily life. The booming wedding industry has attracted a slew of digital disruptors promising to cater to the people's whims by shifting the mundane, difficult parts of a wedding fully online. Most people are familiar with wedding planning brand The Knot and e-commerce wedding registry site Zola, but people can share flower centerpieces with Bloomerent. Guests can donate money directly for honeymoons and other experiences through HoneyFund, and dresses can be found on Etsy and nearly newlywed for cheap. Minted can create wedding invitations, vow to be chic for bridesmaid dress rental, and paparazzi proposals, a wedding and proposal planning service. My guest today on The Luxury Item has figured out a way to disrupt the way people shop for engagement rings. Anub Shah is CEO and co-founder of With Clarity, the only online direct-to-consumer home try-on engagement ring company. With Clarity was just recently ranked number three on the Fast 50 list by Crane's New York Business, was also ranked number 18 on the 2019 Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing privately held companies in the U.S. In the last three years, with Clarity has grown over 9,000%. Their estimated revenue in 2015 was $205,000. In 2018, it was about $19 million. 9,000%. Welcome, Anub. Congratulations on the success. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having us thinking of With Clarity and starting with a scene that is extremely nostalgic for me. It takes me back to one of my favorite movies ever, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, I would, I would think you must have that on uh, heavy rotation in your home. You know, truth be told, when I was in college, I had three roommates, and uh, I think we watched Wedding Crashers every night. Little did I know that I was going to be so attached to the entire process. Yeah, you're going to be your part. You were disrupting <laughs> the industry, and it's an, and it's really an incredible disruption. And the story is incredible, and I would love to share, uh, for you to share with the listeners what that story is. You know, I know it had to do with the whole shopping experience that you had with your wife, 
uh, shopping for an engagement thing. Where did that whole idea come from to disrupt this industry? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, my background, my, my family is from the diamond industry. So I sort of grew up around it, but never really thought I would be a part of it. And, was that uh, in New York? That was in New York. That was on 47th Street. I remember I would literally, you know, go to my dad's office uh, during the summers and I was a little kid and there'd be like little gemstones and colored stones around the floor. I'd spend hours just trying to find them in the carpeting and trying to pick them up. And, uh, you know, that's where I started connecting with the product. And later on, you know, as I was progressing in my career, I decided to drop everything one day and go learn how to immerse myself in this experience by learning how to cut and polish diamonds. So I went to India where 80 to 90% of all diamonds in the world are cut and polished after they're unearthed. And uh, I learned the process. What was that like? Is there, do you get a certificate? Do you, you go through classes? What, 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 is, what is that? It was, uh, I, I wish I could say it was that structured. It was not. I did sit in a factory though and go through the process end to end. And I never realized how much technology goes through the process of cutting a diamond, how much precision is required because how many dollars are on the line. And, you know, just the, the experience was amazing. I was in South India. I was in a place where I didn't speak the language. I uh, remember there was seven or eight hours a day mandatory power outages. There were moments where, you know, water, we'd have to pump it from a well and literally carry a bucket to shower. And it was like, you would think that I'm taking us back to a place and there's no way it's possible. That's real. That was reality. So it was a, a big leap from Wall Street going in that direction. So um, you were you have a financial background, yeah. and I'm um, assuming that probably helped in launching the business. But let's just go back. To, we'll go yeah. back to that in a minute. But so um, so you went, into, you went into the diamond industry, or the, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, you had your, some of your training over in India. Yeah. And when did you come back? So I came back, and, and after I'd come back, I guess, you know, it had been about four years ago. I had uh, realized that my family business has been disrupted. And what I mean by that is all the little uh, middle layers of the supply chain were disappearing. And it was very, very similar to your example of the iPhone, where information became fluid. And people started realizing that they could go direct, potentially, to source because education and information was so vastly and readily available. So I said, well, if that's happening, how do I insert myself and add value to the experience of the customer rather than, you know, trying to hold on to something that didn't have a lot of legs to it? And that's where, uh, at that time, I had just uh, was going through the process of buying a ring to propose to my wife, who is also my co-founder in the mm-hmm. company. She was at one of the companies you What's mentioned. What's her name? Slisha Kankuria. Mm-hmm. And she was at The Knot. Uh, oh, at she the time. was the nut. Exactly. Okay. She was in the wedding e-com space. So, you know, I thought it was an amazing fit. And what we realized was today's shopper, who, who was myself, was spending a lot of time researching the entire buying experience online, but c- couldn't get over this concept, which I've coined as FOBRO, or the fear of buying rings online, because the inability to touch, see, and feel for something that's so f- personal, financial, and emotionally driven is very hard to do. And that's where we realized, well, we've built a supply chain. What if we use technology to use 3D printing where we can create metallic alloy and diamond simulant rings that look, touch, see, and feel exactly like the real ring and send it to people completely free of charge so that they could try before they buy, kind of like, you know, uh, the experience of buying sunglasses nowadays and get over that fear of buying online. Yeah, to make and, a more personal and confident purchasing decision. And, and that model, uh, we've seen, obviously, very successful with Warby Parker and uh, similar, and you've and other ones, too, where people can do things uh, at the convenience of their own home. And the whole direct-to-consumer economy is about having things delivered right to your door, giving you the options and building those kind of re- those kind of relationships. And you do have a point there. A diamond is, is a luxury item, and yeah. an engagement ring is a luxury item. And I just think back to the time when... I got engaged, and this was before the internet, 
And the process was going to 47th Street here in New York and a, a guy who knew a guy type of thing. <laughs> and you were sort of, you know, had to do your own research going to the library, if you will, to, uh, to read on what, you know, how to look for, you know, a, a good diamond when buying an engagement ring. And, you know, you have the four C's, color, clarity, carrot, and cut. Not Was bad. That right? Oh, not, not bad. bad. Wow, <laughs> I'm, I'm still impressed that I still remember it. And you would go in there and you would sit down with someone who knows somebody and they would show you this diamond. They would put the, give you the eyepiece to look at these different facets in, in the diamond and all you're doing and hoping that you, you want to sound like you know what you're talking about based on everything you read and you probably don't. And you're sort of... Li- you know, you're sort of left in the hands of this person mm-hmm. to to trust them. And then they would send you afterwards to get it appraised to the guy that he knows down the block. And it would be appraised usually for four times the amount that you to purchase for it for insurance reasons. And so, uh, you know, thinking about the way that back then, you know, the way diamonds and engagement rings were purchased, where does the trust factor come in? You know, why why would they trust with clarity that the diamonds... Uh, fit up to the expectations of um, what high quality is? Yeah, that's an absolutely great question. And really, it comes down to the idea of the experience of luxury, right? Ultimately, there's, I think, luxury, as it was traditionally defined, had a variety of different definitions to it. Uh, And with jewelry, it was a glass of champagne when you walked in the door. It was a pearly chandelier that was sparkling from all angles. It was lighting. It was all these things, fancy carpeting. I think things have changed. I think uh, concepts like convenience and trust are now part of the definition of luxury where people can then assess what the value of something is. And that's where I think with clarity has excelled is, you know, the home preview and all these concepts are experience of of convenience. But the trust component, we only staff GIA, which is the Grading Institution of Diamonds nonprofit in the United States, uh, GIA certified gemologists. These are people who are just there to guide you. We don't offer commissioned sales folks. We don't think that that is a luxury experience. One of the other things that's very interesting is we don't actually, we have a non-conflict model. That doesn't mean the diamonds themselves, which of course they are non-conflict diamonds. But what that means is that because we are not stocking shelves, it's not really relevant to us whether you buy this item or that item. It's only relevant to us that you buy the best item for you. And so that experience is much more personal. For jewelry stores, I liken them often. It's become like almost like a grocery store where the idea is, you know, you keep inventory, you stock things, and you have to keep replenishing with new asset. That is a model that has been upended very drastically in a variety of ways. You look at that, the rise of new marketplaces and other things, and, and that's exactly why our experience is so desirable. Yeah, so take, take the audience through the whole process. So fast forward for me, um, say I, I'm, I'm looking to get in, in engaged and I came across with clarity. Sure. What do I do? What's the process like? And what can I expect from from you. Absolutely. We encourage high touch. And I think that that's part of what luxury is. We encourage you to talk to our gemologists. We can help guide and select the right diamond. We have all of our diamonds and they're coming direct from the diamond cutters themselves, not the additional layers of supply chain jewelers, you know, the guy who knows a guy as you described it. And uh, they're available in 40 times magnified video. You can see them better than you would see them with that eyepiece in a store. We also offer this home preview experience. Our gemologists are also expert jewelers. They are people who can help you, say, based on your design preference, your styling, kind of like a stitch fix. Here's what makes sense for you. What's interesting is we fuel a lot of back-end technology. With all the data that we're able to aggregate and collect, we curate the experience such that if you click on, let's say, this or that, there's a different type of content that will be available to you. 
And that's important because, you know, it gives us the ability to actually connect with you and tell you things you want to know or care about rather than just giving you, you know, a blanket definition of something or saying that there's a one size fits all. And I don't think that that's the case. Luxury is about being unique. Right. So if, so I, I would go online. Mm-hmm. Um, do I, what comes first? Do I select the settings first? Do I look at the diamonds first? How yep. does that whole process work? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a process of three steps. Right. Uh, the first step is thinking about the setting, the design that you want. It also is a good technique because it allows you to back into your price range. So once you've started understanding styling, and let's assume you've picked one, the idea is to pair that with one of our diamonds. And so those diamonds are coming directly from the cutters. They're all non-conflict diamonds. So uh, they are verified, certified, and uh, inspected by each and every one of our gemologists before they go out. And then uh, the third step is finalizing that ring and basically putting a finger size on it and just some finishing touches if you want some engraving, other things that we can do for you. And we'll build that ring. We use a 3D printing process for every single ring. It's completely bespoke. Every ring is custom designed to fit perfectly. And then it's sent to you in under 10 business days and you'll receive it. Where's the 3D technology located here in New York? New York. We do everything here in New York. And we want a, a product that's made by us for you. And that's very important. Yeah, it's interesting you were talking about luxury, and I was looking at this piece of research from The Knot. They said the average cost of a wedding is about $33,000. On the high end, it's about $105,000. And the average cost for the engagement ring is about $5,700. And on the high end, it's $14,000. And to many, that really is a luxury item. Mm-hmm. And so it's not only investment that they make, it is, you know, the, the definition of, for many, what luxury is, is, is convenience. So, and when you think about what people are spending online, they're dropping $2,000 for a mattress so, and other products too. So people are more comfortable with buying or spending a certain amount of money online without a problem. What fascinates me is, is because this is a diamond that, that we're starting to see, obviously, by the growth of your company, that people are more comfortable with it. And I'm assuming what most of your audience right now are, are millennials. Yeah, that's right. So our, our target, I would say, and what we find is the, the mass majority of consumers are between 28 and 34, uh, typically located in uh, major cities, uh, bi-coastal. But now we're starting to see a trickle effect into uh, cities that are just uh, outside of urban centers. And uh, predominantly, it's a mix of male and female audiences. What's so interesting, Scott, is that 66% of women are actively involved in the purchasing process. And that's also a not statistic. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought I'd share that. Yeah, and, that's very important. And I would imagine that's changed over time drastically. So and, are, you, are you seeing that same thing with, with Clarity that you ask them who's involved actually in going online and you know picking out the setting and the diamond that the woman is involved in as well? Half of our home preview orders are women. Right. And it's such a powerful it, – it's an empowering experience, but it's such a powerful way to shop because – it takes the awkwardness out of the equation. If a couple walks into a store, it becomes about price. It becomes about you know the awkwardness of what you can afford versus what's available to you. Selection and customization come off the table. This gives an experience where you can unbox in the comfort of your own home and not have to have all those awkward conversations where you can figure things out together, make a joint decision, just like what marriage should be, and then ultimately he can go through the process as he pleases to finish the rest. Right. And how long is the whole process once they select which engagement ring that they're satisfied with? How long does it take to send the real thing? Yeah. So that's that whole process happens, including your diamond coming from, let's call it a diamond facility that's located in India or wherever it is, uh, along with the actual physical crafting of the ring here in New York in under 10 business days. 
are you transparent about you know where that diamond is mined from? I think you just hit it on the head. I think right. everybody wants to know more. And right. and the idea is an, for a long time, engagements in jewelry were an afterthought. Now it's become part of the wedding experience in the process. And so it's super important for them to know who's cutting it, where it's happening. We have no problem disclosing where it comes from, what the origin is, uh, you know, the fact that it's located. There's a stigma associated with the product being manufactured overseas. But you know what? The reason it's done in places like India or China is because it's the highest amount of skilled labor and technology that's able to go into physically cutting the diamond. And the amount of planning that goes into that process is so unique that if it's been mastered there, then the master should be crafting that diamond. And that's very important. So it's interesting. I'm just trying to think. Usually, you know, there's always the proposal stage. You know, if we know that women are involved in, in this 50% <laughs> are, 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 you, are you taking out the element of surprise now where, you know, it's, hey, honey, you know, the ring came or, or you know, or uh, this is, it, any research or insights that you found on how, you know, is there a, a more of a, a, a formal proposal stage despite the woman being involved in the process? Yeah. Even yeah. if she's involved, we're still finding that shipping addresses never match the billings. It's because right. people are shipping to third party. The proposal is still a surprise element. Uh, we often find that today uh, there's a little bit less risk associated with the proposal process because the relationships are a little bit more open and nuanced in the sense of they're discussing these things. And so the expectation of the answer being yes is a little bit higher, which is nice. Right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, she feels very empowered that she gets, say, a voice in what she's going to wear the rest of her life. And then she's like, surprise me. Just, you know, do it when you feel right. And, and the whole experience of it is still enriching. You'd be amazing. The same number of tears still flow and joy. <laughs> <laughs> Have, well, has there anything, any interesting insights that you could share that maybe surprised you since you launched with, with Clarity about the consumer, about the uh, people that are shopping for engagement rings, things that were unexpected or things that you learned that yeah. perhaps you had to adjust your model a little bit along the way because of that. Absolutely. So there's a few things we learned. Well, one was certainly we we built the model thinking that the home preview experience was one to build trust. We didn't realize that the number of women who would want to be involved in that project, uh, process would be as many as they are. The second thing we learned was the quality. When you're buying online, because we're almost too transparent about how what the diamond looks like, the people are looking for substantially higher quality and are, are willing to sacrifice some size for that. Typically in the United States, uh, the commercial quality, if you will, typically what you see at a mall or a chain store is substantially lower. And so what we find is that it's substantially higher with online purchases, uh, very high on both the color and clarity scales. Right. And so that's that was a very fascinating thing. And we had to kind of change our merchandising approach, our thought process. The other thing we find online is that um, it was so amazing to see how voiceless and faceless so many of the brands are. And that they're so there's no story about who the founders are. There's no story about the process, and it's just more of a transactional experience. Right. And, you know, frankly speaking, we were a, a creature of habit of looking at the old kind of incumbents, and we said, "Hey, let's follow the process to at least prove the concept and see if there's space for us." The reason we rebranded to With Clarity was exactly this: was because we wanted to put a face to the to the brand, to the image. We wanted to show people who we are and what we're about. We showcase our gemologists. We have video profiles of everybody. And it's about humanizing e-commerce, where I think e-commerce has sort of lagged behind. And now everyone's talking about innovating stores. But really, it's e-commerce that needs the innovation. Right. I agree. And while you're talking about these mall stores, you know, you have Zales and Pandora and Jared. They're dropping millions and millions of dollars 
And honestly, from my perspective, they all seem the same. You know, the message, there really isn't a clear story between them. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you compete on that level? Or are you considering those the the incumbents, if you will? Um, how do you compete with them, you know, considering the amount of advertising dollars that they do spend? It's, my perspective, I think it's all about the story, which you just said. Sure. And people are looking to make that one-on-one connection, and there's some value to that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. One of the things you just said was you named a few different companies, Zales, Jared. They're actually all owned by the same corporation, interestingly enough. So there's a company called Signet, which is a publicly traded right. company who owns a series of brands. They own the vast majority of what you just named. And I think that that's part of the issue is the fact that you have one voice trying to resonate to multiple brands, and it's doing it in a way where it might not cater to today's shopper. And I think what happens is then uh, you know, that, that opens up space for us. They can spend millions of dollars to try to keep driving people to malls and chains. But at the end of the day, the, the process by which they're shopping is not resolved. The convenience, the luxury, the value, the trust component, all of those things might be waning. And that's where I think when we put a, a face to our brand, we represent who we are. We are our own customers. And I think that makes a very powerful message to the audiences who are shopping today. Have you started to make a dent, do you think, in those in those marketplaces? Well, we have a ways to go to make a dent in right. uh, sort of the broader market. You know, these are f- uh, it can be a five-plus billion-dollar corporation in annual sales. But if you, you know, look at the publicly traded information, the stock price has decreased from over $150 a share in the last couple of years to uh, fluttering somewhere around $15 to $16 a share. Uh, I was just, you know, you're thinking about the diamond industry. I was just reading, I think, about a week ago about uh, De Beers Diamonds. They're, I think they cut the started cutting the prices of their diamonds. Um, how is that affecting your market at all? It's So it's really not. I think what we see is that demand has generally not waned when it comes to engagement jewelry and diamond rings. Uh, millennials are very interestingly traditional. They are actually the highest percentage of folks who get down on one knee to propose, which hmm. is uh, higher than even the previous generation. It's upwards <laughs> of 60%. Right. And so it's a, such an interesting thing to see. And, and diamond purchases and just generally purchasing of diamonds and natural diamonds is higher than it's been in the past. The compounded annual growth rate is still upwards of 2.4% which is just fascinating to see that, you know, the trend is the same. It's the shopping experience that's changed. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. We're going back to the whole direct-to-consumer landscape right now. We're starting to see, you know, disruptions in the mattress category and the shoe category and the razor category. In a matter of four or five years, Mm -hmm. um, these upstart brands have taken upwards of 20% share of these of the incumbent brands, but we're also seeing some of these direct to consumer brands sort of evolve their playbook a little bit. Um, they're starting to open up uh, showrooms, if you will. You know, Casper has that sleep. I forgot the, exactly what it's called, but you know, they're opening up stores where you know, these uh, uh, show showrooms where you could pay twenty five dollars, you could take a nap, um, <laughs> anything. Things that are really all the t- their touch points are expanding. Yeah. Are you looking to do that as well? Yeah. You know, I think what's really interesting about with Clarity is we have an opportunity to disrupt the store experience. Uh, we're not so concerned about the online incumbents. What we're more interested in is changing the experience of going to a physical store. Today, it's an uncomfortable environment. Uh, everything's in a showcase, in a glass case. You almost feel like you can't ask for anything or touch anything because you might break it. It's a It's a pressured sales environment. You have about five, six salespeople behind counters and one or two people in the store. And they're all looking for commission because that's how they survive, rightfully so. I think that that experience needs to be upended. You need experiences, almost like what we would call it as labs, 
where people can, I mean, it's almost funny, but literally gemologists are scientists to some extent. Mm -hmm. We can put lab coats on them, and instead of stethoscopes, they'll wear loops. <laughs> there's, there's diamond grading tools. Right, right. But we want to make the experience about purchasing. So uh, the way that we would see some kind of an omni-channel approach is one where you walk into a store, you have machines, you have equipment, you have the different components that go into physically crafting the ring. You don't buy anything. The thesis here is that the experience of the store and that experience of your story should drive conversion online the that way so that you would want to buy. Was that something you're thinking about doing? It is something we're thinking about doing. So it is, uh, you know, on the horizon. Uh, it's something that we are working on uh, along with a variety of other different verticals that we want to explore. But, uh, you know, these are the types of experiences that we think are going to change the buying uh, cycle altogether. So we're seeing a lot of the other direct-to-consumer brands, their successes all stem from social media. Um, are you finding what you know, what is your strategy like? Do you do you spend on social media and, and what do you do? Yeah, so we see a, a a relatively large migration towards Instagram. Facebook seems like a little bit of the old, and Instagram's a little bit of the new. Uh, and so it's very interesting to see uh, today. I think what we have going for us, where I think brands have struggled in this space particularly, is the fact that people aren't necessarily proud to wear their jewelry. They see it more as a commodity, not as the experience of the brand. And so uh, today we have couples actually reaching out to us saying, hey, we noticed you feature folks. Can you feature us? And I think that that's very powerful because if we have people who are willing to get in front of all of their, their audiences, their communities, say, I own a With Clarity ring, we're doing something right. And so we do a lot of branded type of images, photography, things that allow them to showcase their story in a way that just sharing a post may not uh, happen right. traditionally. Yeah, and I think... Similar type of model, which and we've seen success with uh, with with away luggage, yeah. and away luggage was also grew because it wasn't you know wasn't the luggage themselves is what they were doing with that luggage, and they they encouraged users to go onto Instagram to show that off, and that obviously they took place because everybody wanted to show off where they were um, and what their experience was. So it's really about the experience with clarity. What how, what their proposal is, where they are, how they propose, what they do with their ring. So when you see that on the Instagram, on your Instagram account, um, is it they're showing off the ring or they're showing off where they are with the ring? Yeah. So I think what's really interesting, what you described is if you think about millennials and, uh, you know, the, the, the next generation, uh, basically what they say is between three and seven placements of whatever that product is in a natural lifestyle environment are acquired. Otherwise, uh, you know, folks like us call BS, and they think that they're paid placements. What we have is a very, very human, natural moment. It's the moment where you're proposing, very hard to fake or stage. And so we physically are looking for people to showcase that experience. Wherever they are, we're trying to focus on that story rather than the story of us. We right. just want to be a part of that story in some All way. Right. So let's talk about business and, and, you know, building a startup. <laughs> um, so you have some financial background. Obviously, you have uh, experience that you got in, in in the diamond industry. Like, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way since starting launching your business? Yeah, I mean, we've learned a ton. We've had very interesting stories, situations, uh, and, and I'll just share a couple. I sure. mean, one of the things I've learned is that take risks and take them often and take them early. Uh, if you operate in fear, if you operate on the guise of your bank account balance, but you believe in your product, you'll never get to where you're trying to go. The key is if you believe in what you're offering to customers, what you're selling, the experience, whatever it is, you need to invest behind it and double down. And really, that that's what will cause its success. And that's always what's worked for us. Did you ever get to the where there are those days which many entrepreneurs go through is like this is 
you feel that you're at your lowest point because something's not clicking and then obviously you're motivated <laughs> and driven to 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 correct that and you know you obviously have your peaks and valleys too many of those to count yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think those are uh that's the story of every entrepreneur right. it's it's there are very many days where you feel like this isn't working or it's not going to work but then the idea is to identify why it's to get feedback talk to people people are your best critiques they're also your best mentors they will help you identify where your gaps are. They'll get you through your your troughs and get you to the valleys and get you you know to where you're trying to go. I mean, I remember we've had so many interesting stories where people try to will always try to get you and go in one direction or another. Days where it didn't work, some people would tell us, "Why don't you try going directly to stores and go B two B?" But we believed in our experience and we thought it was made directly for the consumer, so we had to learn to filter that. But on other situations, people said, "You know, turn a blind eye and keep going in that direction and, and do what you're doing. Just change the way you go to customers." And that, you know, changes our strategy and how we think about things. So it's always good, probably good to have some good mentors along the way. Absolutely. I know you were at the, uh, with ERA, the Entrepreneur's Roundtable Accelerator. Yep. How, how was your experience there? It was beyond words. You know, it was one of those programs where I remember we had 24 hours to give an answer. And we're sitting there scratching our heads saying, hmm, should we be giving up equity in our business, what we're building, in order for, to get this mentorship and some of this funding and, and what have you? And I look back and I say, wow, I always laugh. I go, what were we thinking? Of course it was the right decision because uh, the network effect of learning from folks uh, was massive. I mean, just access to capital, financing, other things that we could do, people we can learn from, disruptive brands that are rising in New York and in other parts of the, the world. I mean, we learned from all of them and it was because of the network effect. Yeah, so what's next for With Clarity? What's next? Um, we want to eventually become a lifetime jeweler, and that's the plan. I think what does when that you, mean? And what that means is when you think of companies like Casper, they started as a mattress company before they became a sleep company or a furniture company or however you want to see them today. Right. For us, we want to be an engagement ring company. We want to be there for that first purchase initially to show that we can win the trust of that customer with a product that they will absolutely love and cherish the rest of their lives. A lifetime jeweler is then somebody that they can rely on to come back to, to have that same experience end-to-end for every major occasion. And that's where we see with Clarity ultimately going. Right, because that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. You're hoping that the person only gets engaged once in their lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, how do you generate more customers and how do you get them, you know, embrace in your brand? You you don't want them to be one and done. You want them to be part of, you know, uh, connected to your brand, the With Clarity brand, and come back because of that trust and the success story, the success that they did have with that engagement ring, that you want them to come back for other pieces of jewelry too. Absolutely. That, yeah. I can't tell you, Scott, how many potential investors have told us, well, your business doesn't have enough LTV, lifetime value of the customer uh, right now, so it's not for us. And we said, well, this partnership's not for us either because you need to understand that this is our vision, and the vision needs to start this way. We need to show that there is enough support behind us, not from the investors, but the customers who are willing to say that, yes, I would come back for a second or a third purchase and build organically from within. If we just try to do everything as a mass store, I mean, I don't see us any different than stocking shelves and forgetting about our identity and the brand and what we're creating. All right. And so that focus is important. So one final question, which I ask all my guests, ask all my guests it's the luxury item question. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could have one luxury item with you, it can't be a form of transportation, obviously, and it can't be anything that has requires mobile service, what would it be? 
So uh, I think this is a little bit easier for me than most, but I would pro- <laughs> uh, I'd probably bring a piece of jewelry, like a diamond ring or something, something that inspires memories, something that creates uh, a lasting impression. The things that remain with you are the experiences you create. And so I guess for me, it would be, you know, the most meaningful piece of jewelry, maybe something I've given to my wife or to my 14-month-old daughter. <laughs> oh, that's congratulations on that, and, and that's a good answer. Um, so if you want to learn more about With Clarity, go to withclarity.com. And uh, thank you, Anu. I really appreciate it. We learned a lot. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.